everybody. Welcome to Failed Rockstar Club podcast, the podcast that talks about music, mental health and fashion. Um, I'm going to address the elephant in the room, or I suppose you would call it the the lack of spectacles and big nose which is in the room, and that is Jez is not here today. Um, I, don't, I don't want anyone to worry. We haven't fallen out. We haven't had a Barney. Jez is on his holidays with his family. He's gone to Cornwall. So I'm sure he's having a lovely time. And I thought, you know what, after my last attempt to do a podcast of my own, which is a complete disaster, I thought I'd uh, invite one of my friends on today um, that we could maybe talk about some other stuff rather than music. We could talk a bit about music, aren't we, Neil? You like music, yeah, don't you? Yeah, we talk a bit, yeah. Okay, so um, I have with me um, a friend of mine, his name is Neil Gibb, and he is currently living somewhere up north, Bradford. That's correct. That is in the north. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> yep. I, uh, actually, I drove. I, I went. I just come back from the Lake District. You ever been there? That's also in the north. You're doing. You're doing well. Yes. I am. That yep. is, yeah. I know because it took very nice. flipping ages to drive there, and I did think to myself, "Fucking hell, this is far up." Um. So, um, before we get to um, get chatting, Neil, I want to just introduce anyone that might, that might be listening to this podcast for the first time. Um, my name is Stephen Bobby Hurdle. BA Honours. Um, Jez is not here, um, so I'm not worried about him today, but we, I'm sitting in my shop, Colchester, Essex, 40 Old Lane, bestdaysvintage.co.uk, if you're interested. Um, and it's m- Tuesday evening at 11 minutes past six, and I'm on Zoom, so you can hear the radio, kind of crackly radio thing going on, the speaker thing with Neil. And Neil, where are you at the moment? I am in a place called Whipsy on the south side of Bradford in West Yorkshire. There you go. Sitting in your lounge bedroom? Sitting in my office, actually. I'm looking out over the hills. Um, and I found out today that um, in terms of the Olympic medals, uh, West Yorkshire and Essex are neck and neck with five oh. goals. So oh. there you go. Well, you've got a proud tradition of Olympic glory, haven't you, up that way? The, we have, um, yes. The Brownlee brothers? I grew- yeah, it hasn't quite worked out for them so well this time. Not this time, but oh, maybe they've had their time. Maybe it's the the baton's been passed on, hasn't it? A little bit. Uh, look, and we'll talk about that. I think you know how things change. You know, we're going to talk about creating and creating books and things today. So change yeah. is going to be a big part of our conversation. Ooh. So it's a good lead-in. Well done. <laughs> Thank you very much. Professional professionalism is. Um, so to get going, Neil, um, I've got a few questions, I and mean, this is a game we call. It's called this or that. Very simple. Right. You'll get you'll get the idea as we go. Um, so I'm going to read out two things, and you just let me know off the top of your head straight away um, which one is more relevant to you. Okay. So. If this were at the end, you tell me I'm a psychopath. <laughs> kinda. It's kind of like that. No, we we as you well know, we're we're no judgment here. No judgment. All right. Okay. All right. Well, I'll go for it. Go go on. No judgment. No pressure. Um, okay. Right. And I'm just going to change my stool because I'm sitting on the creaky one. One second. I need a good stool for this. Equipment failure. Yeah, always. I always pick out of all three stools. I always pick the creaky one. Maybe it's the weight. Okay, right here we go. So, north or south? North, always. Music or film? Ooh, film. Blur or Oasis? Oasis. Watching or playing? Playing. Dreaming or reality? Dreaming, really. I don't want to say that, but dreaming. Yeah. The woods or the beach? Uh, beach. 
beach, nice. Why the beach over the woods? I like wide open spaces. Uh, I like the big sky. It's one of the things I miss from about Essex, actually. So when you're at the beach, there's always a big sky. Yeah, that is true. Um, we have this. I have this discussion with my wife quite a lot. She's a woods girl, and I think, I think I'm a woods person. I like the greenery and I like the smells and the kind of. Well, it is a problem that we live in a world where you know social media divides us into black and white thinking, and we are doing a bit of black and white thinking because I also do like the woods. In yeah. fact, the woods by the beach would be very nice. Well, yeah, a bit of both. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it, to be fair, these every time I play this game, I'm almost like it's ridiculous. But I quite I quite like the idea of like this quick fire kind of like bam, bam, bam. Sometimes I drop a little naughty one in there as well. But I've, I've been very sensible with you. Um, Thank you. You don't have to be. I know I didn't have to be, but I felt like a measure of respect. Thank you. Yeah. Sometimes I ask people if they're a leg or a breast person. You're Bottom. A, oh, you're a veggie, aren't you? Veggie? A vegan? <laughs> Very good. No, I'm not, actually. I do. I don't even want to go any further with this, This. This. where this is going to take me, but I, I, I do eat meat. Oh, you do? Okay. Um, a flexitarian, which is basically just an indecisive carnivore. Yes, I'm aware. I'm aware of that term. I heard that term recently, actually, and I didn't know what it meant until they explained it to me, a flexitarian. Um, so can you remember, Neil, to kind of get the ball rolling, can you remember how we first met? I'd love to say that I went into a bar and I looked across <laughs> and I saw you, but I actually can't remember. Uh, obviously, Colchester, uh, we were you know, running that thing called the South Lange Project, which is all about independent shops, and, mm-hmm. and I met you at some time during that, but quite when I don't actually know. You came into our shop and you sat down and had a coffee and you started talking about I think you met Jez first rather than me. But you and Jez told me all about you. He said there was this guy who's an author who was starting this project and it's all really exciting and kind of quirky and all about independent businesses. And yeah, he piqued Jez piqued my interest in you, as it were. And then you started you came in a few times and you were explaining what it was about and then we started getting to know each other after that through the project. Um, what was... and your coffee was terrible then, but it's really good now, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely improving. It's, it's the, we proudly claim to be the ninth best coffee in Colchester now. I think you're rushing up. I think you're seventh, maybe sixth. <laughs> yeah. As you funny enough, I walked past a little coffee shop. I don't know if I call Artisan Coffee. I don't know if they were around when you were here. But... Oh, you might have gone back down to eight then, but I, no, I don't know them. No, but as you're walking along, they've got stickers on the floor that says, you're queuing up for the best coffee in the world. And I thought, flipping heck, it's like 100 metres down the road, it's like the best coffee in the world, and we can't even be the eighth best coffee in Colchester. <laughs> but well, you difference know, in perception. Declaring yourself, I like that. Yeah. You know? But then, of course, you've got to back it up. Well, that's, well, that's the thing. Uh, I, I'm, definitely, I'm the fourth most successful writer in, in South Bradford. <laughs> well, that's... that's um. High praise indeed. Yeah. Um, can you remember what, why, when you first started doing the um, South Lane stuff, why it was important, why, why you felt it was important for what we needed in Colchester at the time? Yeah, well, look, uh, it, it actually comes down to you know, the book. We're going to talk about writing a book, not about the content of my book, but uh, I, you know, I guess people listening to this might be interested in the writing process. So I, um, I, you know, I've always been interested in writing, and earlier in my life I wrote and published two crime novels and I had a play put on in the sort of, I think it's called Off West End um, so in other words, Fringe um, 
which so that was all fiction. And then I got interested in in uh, the idea of writing um, uh, a, a non-fiction book, you know. And I wrote this book called The Participation Revolution, which is basically looking at how the world was changing. And I was really interested in how in movements and social movements. And uh, and I was living in Colchester, and I looked around, and everyone was talking about you know the town centre falling apart, and then the focus is always on these big. We saw, I felt, boring shops when there was all these little interesting shops around. So, so we started this project, which is how we, can we create something that's great in the sum of the past, basically, uh, you know, all the wonderful independent spirit of Colchester, and that's kind of how it started. And, um, yeah, and we can talk more about that if you want. <laughs> so. yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it's the only reason I wanted to bring it up is because it's like I've always, I, I found it interesting like how we kind of, our world's kind of crossed and how because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are kind of from Colchester and I suppose I don't know I think it's kind of important to celebrate the kind of positive things that happen in Colchester which we like to do um, and also the people that are from outside that maybe have never been here before um, that might want to listen um, but you you, I remember you well, saying I leap in and say something there because you know I am of a slightly older generation but I you know I, I, I was born in Yorkshire I spent a lot of my uh, adult life in the south of England, in, in London and, and Brighton. But then I went away to Australia for 10 years, and then I came back to Essex, and then I came back to Yorkshire. That's kind of my, my loop. But that 10 years out of the country, uh, in, in what's essentially a new world country, made me realise how backward-looking a lot of, not backward, backward-looking a lot of people are in the United Kingdom. And, and a place like Colchester is a great example. There's all this kind of like talk about the Romans and, uh, and you know, ancient stuff. And I'm not saying... We shouldn't be, think that's cool, but really, what I think we need to be doing is looking forwards. You know, looking forwards to you know our place in the world and how we how we create it. And I think what's great about Colchester isn't the fact that it's the oldest town in um, in the United Kingdom. It's probably got one of the youngest populations. You know, there's a lot of young people with great ideas doing things. You know, and I think that's where we really need to be focusing. Just, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Really, how can we harness our creativity to do good things? Is that this is completely off topic but i was just thinking do you see a big difference in between colchester and bradford in the way that they look at the business side of things or the shops themselves or the people within that world yeah i do i, I think one thing that a lot of people in the south of england are surprised by i'm gonna i'm gonna wait for you to come back because i'm right. just, I'll just lock at the door my brother came in to do a delivery so but i think he's gone and so i just oh. locked the door yeah crack on so i think i think what a lot of people in the south of england um uh don't realise and uh, and therefore are surprised by think certain things that happen politically um, is you know how challenged areas of the north are because the, the southeast of England is very well off. I mean, there's, there's lots of you know there are areas that aren't well off. I mean, obviously places like Clacton, you know, but but generally there's a lot more money. Um, and if you come to certainly a town like you know Bradford, um, uh, you, you, you know you see a lot of deprivation. You see a lot of empty shops. You know, so. Uh, so the challenges here are a lot more profound, a lot more real. There's a lot less money. Uh, on the other hand, there's an interesting flip side to that, which is when things aren't great, there's a lot more potential to, to, to change things. There's a lot more uh, call it risk-taking, almost desperate, that desperation, you know, to do things. So that's the other side of it. You know, what I think people up here are really rolling up the sleeves and saying we really do need to do things differently now. That's the impression I get, that sometimes maybe – to our detriment down here is that as a rule of thumb we've had things pretty okay and that when things start going a little bit pear-shaped there there isn't maybe the inventiveness or there's a little bit of 
why me kind of attitude with like the, some of the smaller shops rather than the kind of like the attitude maybe where it's been tough for a while and so we have to fight we have to find a way around to fix the problem so you, i get the feeling that sometimes up your way there might be a lot more creative thinkers and out blue sky thinkers and inverted commas than there are down here with how they're kind of approaching things well this might feel when we talk a little bit about the whole mental health conversation because there is a dilemma i think which is we want people to feel you know happy and well and um uh you're not scared or stressed on the other hand there's that cliche which is necessity is a mother of invention because I don't think you can really think your way out of a problem. Quite often it's like we don't have any choice. And when you're in that, we don't have any, we've got to do something. There isn't, we can't keep doing things as usual. Then people get very inventive. You know, on the, the flip side of that, though, is those are often very stressful situations, usually because, you know, money's running out and things aren't working out, you know. So that's the kind of, often the creative balance is that you do need to be at a little bit of risk uh, to kind of focus yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean... I see it here more and more, I think. And I think maybe, Ella, with, with like the kind of the, the idea behind your book, there's definitely like a kind of, I think it's a nationwide movement with like young creatives and the smaller kind of communities versions of the small community town centered look where it's like there's opportunity all round to create the experience based, the, the idea that you don't just come into this shop and you buy something and you piss off. You're kind of part of something. You're involved. You're asked questions. You're kind of given you're given input. You feel part of it. You feel a belonging to like a certain area and to a certain shop, which is what the South Lanes was kind of working towards, wasn't it? It's like feeling right. part of it, feeling a belonging. And uh, a shop like Be- a shop like Best Days, for example, I think we're kind of probably quite a good example of that about creating. We saw, we've talked before about creating fans, right? About creating wow. event, and it's the one power that small business has in the community over like these big dinosaur shops, which don't really give a shit about you. It's the idea that we give a shit about the people that come into our world, and the people that come into our world kind of give a shit about us. And it's like a it's a cycle, it's a circular kind of relationship. Yeah, and I think it's funny how how things that are successful often forget about some real fundamentals because you know what goes around comes around. What's happening isn't new. You know, the idea at the end of the day, you want to walk in somewhere where you're known, where the person isn't bullshitting you, where you're not going to a place where whatever you put on, they'll go, oh, that looks great. You know, yeah. um, you know that's what we really want. That's what we've always wanted. That's how town centres started. You could go to the butcher and they'd give you a piece of meat and you yeah. know that it'd be a good piece of meat. So I think really you're just part of that tradition. So to some extent it is old Colchester, you know, being reinvented. It, yeah, I suppose it is. It's like looking back, but with a modern twist right it's that it's that older which is why it's kind of sad i suppose that places like camden which used to have that the only thing you worry about is like with smaller businesses being priced out of the of the area if if it works and these areas become really successful whether or not you kind of you're almost a victim of your own success whether or not you as a community well there's a bigger political conversation now which i think is probably not what this podcast is about which is about you know ownership of, of areas but but on the other side, I think from a creative conversation, you know, I, it's good. You know, things, things, things get born, things, things grow, things reach an end point, you know, and then something else happens. Everyone's going, creatives can't be in London. They can't go somewhere else. It's why I've come to Bradford. You know, the creative parts of this country are now, you know, like genuinely artistically creative are, are places like Birmingham. Yeah. Um, maybe not even Manchester and Leeds anymore because you know places where you can go, you can get a cheap place, you can get a bit of space, you know, and and so that's then they'll be they'll get developed and then something else will happen and I think that's just kind of the 
never-ending kind of shifting sands of life, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of leading on to like writing, I suppose, is where your book kind of goes, right? Before we go a little bit, I, don't, I, don't, I know you don't want to talk too much about it, but that's kind of where your book went, wasn't it, in regards to the movement of it, the idea that it's all about participation, community, acceptance, and a little bit of competition that kind of keeps you, keeps your edge up. My yeah, well, we're going to the, the content. Of, you know, given that people probably here again are, listening, are interested in the sort of creative experience, there's this interesting dilemma, and, and I think you find you know cultures are often very competitive. Uh, a certain kind of person can thrive in those situations, but a lot of us find it very stressful. Or they're very collaborative, and those kind of are nice, but there's no edge. There's nothing, but you know, nothing much happening. So there's this middle space, you know, which is how do you create situations where um, you, you create safe spaces. But in those safe spaces, people are really being challenged to do good and interesting things. And, and that's where you see happiness, because uh, a lot of our happiness comes from our growth, you know, overcoming obstacles, you know, not just feeling happy in the moment. Um, and that's where you feel see good things being created. And I think those are the kind of movements that we're, we're you know, interested in and drawn to. I found um, I did a lot of like self-reflection over lots of periods of times and I found that one of the things that really motivated me and as an individual wasn't money but it was having an impact on my part of the world and I really kind of doubled down on that in regards to I can't I feel like I can't change big picture stuff but I really feel like I can make a really positive impact within a small part of this little world and that's one of the key drivers that kind of keeps me going as a as a kind of individual and as a person that runs like a little business. What did you have anything? Did you have any similar feelings with that when you wrote the book? Like, did you feel like there was a bigger mission as an author? Like, is that important? Do you think when you're writing? I think there's um, there's a few things. I was just thinking as you're talking. Bob Marley's got a great quote. He said, "They were so poor, all they had was money." <laughs> But having said that, money is good because I have noticed that the only uh, people that say money is not important are rich people. You yeah. get these Hollywood stars going, oh, I don't care about fame and money. I'm like, really? Are you sure about that? Yeah. So, you know, it's all about balance. Yeah. Um, I think um, I, I think, I think there's, there's two ways to create any, any okay, it's oversimplifying, but two places to come from with any creative endeavor, which is to think like a designer. You know, what impact do I have in the world? Or you think like an artist, which is what do I want to make? You know, and, uh, and, and and some of the most successful people I know seem to be able to kind of balance those two things. So you're not just like being a market driven, something that's passionate. But on the other hand, you're not just making something without thinking about whether anyone's interested in it. You know, so I felt that the world was changing. There seemed to be more and more conflict in the world. I might be able to write something that could be useful. Uh, and then the other thing is, you know, we all have an itch. And I think you've got to work out what that itch is. And, um, you know, I wish it wasn't writing. You know, I, wish it, I, I wish it was something easier, you know, but I have discovered that when I get into writing, which I find very difficult, and when I produce something, there's a level of fulfillment that I have that I just don't get. You know, it's, it, it sounds a little kind of, I don't know, overblown to say it's a spiritual experience, but it, but it is, you know, I create it. I'm like, I am very pleased with that in a way that few other things do, you know. And do you have to be, because as soon as you create something like that, it's like your whole self must be in that book right so as an author so as someone that's like looking to write is and it's a bit like being in a band when you're creating something that you really believe in and when you put it out there to the public is it scary as a as an author to kind of say shit is out there into the world now i know i'm going to get good reviews and i know i'm going to get bad reviews 
Yeah, well, I think this is why you know the mental health conversation is really, really interesting because I think um, you know, I've got a, a friend uh, in America, and she was she's actually from Colchester now. I think about yeah. it, and she was um, uh, trying very hard to be an artist, and she really struggled, and she struggled with mental health, and got herself in a very difficult place, you know. Where, um, and she started to do therapy, and she started to do art therapy, and she became an art therapist, and. The process of art therapy is really using the creative process to see where do you get stuck, and when you get stuck, you know, what are you thinking, what are you feeling, and 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 what can you do instead, you know? And and as she became better at being an art therapist, amazingly, her art started to take off as a side hustle, which was really really interesting, you know. And um, so it so it is the same, you know. It, it is a journey of constantly of of doubt, confidence. You know, breakdowns, breakthroughs. You can bring, you create this thing and think, oh wow, it's amazing. You hand it over to someone, they say one thing, it's like, oh, it's terrible. You know, <laughs> and 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 and. You know, uh, but like a lot of things, you know, I think the important thing is to create something that in 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 my heart and soul, I'm proud of. Yeah. And um, it's easy to say this because we all want validation. Yeah, yeah. You know, but ultimately, that I'm not looking for a lot of validation from it from the outside world to um, uh, to make me feel good about myself. Do you I, do you suffer from the same thing that us musos suffer from, which is you release, I don't know, let's just say a single or an album like your you release an album, you get a hundred like really good reviews, and you're kind of like, yeah, cool, great, great. One bad review, and then you hang your hat on that bad review. Do you have a similar kind of feeling as an author? Are you looking out? Are you reading reviews, or are you just completely putting your setting them aside? I try. I look. I try and avoid it. Um, and uh, you know, there's also what people say to you. You know, the, what's you know interesting in the world of the internet is that uh, you know it's not like the far away review. It's people will contact you. Um, you know, a lot of people found me on Twitter and things like that. Um, you know, I find uh, you know if someone praises me, I, I'll be honest. I sometimes find that really hard. Like, really? Do you really mean that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so there is that. Um, I think the thing, I don't look, I, I don't, I, I think something we should really crave actually as creatives is constructive feedback. You know, the idea that it's always, uh, uh, there's always, a, you know, you've never created perfection. Um, so yeah. it's good to get constructive feedback. But I think something that a lot of people don't realize, you see that in the world at the moment, you know, where people are endeavoring to do things. You know, let's just take a really high profile example where uh, we had the, semi-finals of the Euros, you know, guys getting up and kicking penalties. And uh, look, they're paid an awful lot of money to do what they do. They have probably have a great life and a great job. But boy, are they in the frame, right? That is such a difficult thing to do. It doesn't matter whether they score or, 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 or don't. You know, people should just be going, well done for giving it a go, you know. And so many people don't do that. Just going, well done for getting a book out. Well done. It doesn't even matter if it's what I think about it. Just that is a fucking great thing. Yeah. And then, after a pause, maybe going, and you know what? I didn't like that bit, you know. But people don't. They tend to go straight in and go, didn't like that, yeah. you know. And uh, that's just human nature. But, um, you know, I think if we could create a little bit more empathy for each other, it would be to just to acknowledge people's endeavour uh, not necessarily the quality of the product and celebrate that as well isn't it it's like yeah because it's a huge thing it's like climbing a mountain it doesn't yeah. matter if it takes you a long time it's still a big deal we <laughs> yeah one of the things with this podcast is like the the motto of the podcast basically is like called found rockstar club but the idea is you're only a failure if you don't try and the whole process of just giving it a go getting on getting out there and making something happen regardless of kind of where you expect it to go but that creative process and that journey is what's important 
Yeah, well, actually, you point to something else, though, which I think is really important, uh, always important, but particularly important in this day and age because we live in very amplified times, where, uh, which is to work out what success is for yourself. Because, you know, um, we live in a world where it's, you know, we, we just celebrate premiership footballers, you know, rock stars, film stars, gold medalists, and I don't know what the percentage, you know, billionaires, uh, what the percentage of the population is who achieve that, but it's point not something of a percent, you know, which means everyone else is going to be unhappy unless we can actually work out what success is. You know, for me, uh, you know, one, there's one woman who, uh, who is uh, starting up a, 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 well, it's a startup, tech startup, who wrote to me, uh, you know, texted me or something. She'd read the book. We had a little Zoom session. She found it really useful, and she got back later and said, I used some of those things in my business, and the, and the business is now doing really well. And that is success for me. I do want more than that, but it's to just go, that is cool. If nothing else happens, that is a success, and, 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 rather than thinking, I've got to sell a million, and if I don't, I've failed. So, um, and I think that's the problem with something like the failed rock star club. You know, um, if you're out there gigging and people are enjoying themselves, you're doing quite well. Yeah. Because we always say, like, in regards to, like, Jez and I, when we played in our bands, we always kind of look back on these... Well, it's a whole podcast sometimes. It's almost a therapy session where we kind of discuss things that happened in the past, how we felt about it, looking back on it with hindsight. And one of the things that I look back on is some of the songs that Jez wrote were used by people really suffering with their mental health. And I, I, right. I've actually met, literally met, like, two or three people that have got some of his lyrics tattooed on their arm. As a way, as a as a kind of tool and a trigger to kind of like help them kind of overcome anxiety when they're feeling stressed, due to like some of the lyrics that mean so much to them. And I was like, yeah, I, fair enough. You may not sell Coldplay records or whatever, but having that kind of impact on someone's kind of life, the positive impact is is amazing. And it's like, and I just I know, those sort of little those sort of little moments that are, like you say, the things that I kind of hang on to and go, yeah, it was worth it. No matter yeah. how small, well, it was worth it. Thinking about that in advance, you know what is success? And look, money, money is important. And uh, and so the other side of it is thinking about that. We all have to be realistic about um, about what's possible because you can make a living. But if you know the people that sell millions of copies are people that make it to the you know, difference between someone who's a good footballer and a Premiership footballer isn't much. No. You know, and so it, there is an element of luck of being seen in the right place at the right time, as well as talent. You know. Yeah. So that's one of the things you would say. So what? Say for example, we were talking about dealing with those kind of like those expectations. I say, would you say that going into writing, you should have expectation levels then, or set yourself targets, or just let the process, or just enjoy the process and just let it go where it goes? Well, um, I think I think what's important is to say what I've done because there are a lot of people out there doing writing courses, and you should do it like this, and you should do it like that. And I've read. Um, it was really as well. There's a lot of people written books about writing, and they're nearly all really badly written. <laughs> um, if people do want to re- read a, a book about writing, I think Stephen King's book on writing is probably the best book on writing I've ever read. By the way, if anyone wants to look for a book, uh, but you know what I'd say is everyone has a has, has a different thing. Um, I I wrote a, a book that was never published, which was the first thing I ever did, and. Uh, you know, you've got to be pretty tenacious because the finishing the manuscript is the start of a process, not the end of a process. You know, unless you just happen to be the son of a publisher or something like that. You know, and I wasn't. You know, so you have to knock on doors, and you have to get people to look at it, and they don't. And it, and but eventually, I got people to look at it. And I remember this guy um, saying, um, and he was quite frank. He said, "You're a good writer, but this is a shit book." 
those are his very words, right? He didn't mince his words. You know, I took that very to heart at the yeah. time, but it was correct, right? Um, and he said something really interesting. He said, um, he said, you should write something you want to read rather than what you want to write. Because what I was trying to do was be a great writer. I was trying to be a literary writer. I was trying to win the Booker Prize. I was trying to write the, the book that I don't read. Um, and at the time, when I thought about it, I thought at that time I wasn't actually reading that many books. I was very into kind of offbeat um, crime. This is the 90s, right? Um, crime, like um, particularly like Quentin Tarantino, right? So, so I thought, great, I'll write a book like that. So that was a that was a very good starting point, you know, to think, yeah, I'm going to invest in something I actually know about, I enjoy, and I care about. Um, and then the next thing, I, I create some criteria that I want to create a book, I want to create a novel, I want it to be published. Um, I do actually believe there's a lot to be said for being really overt about what you want. Now you might not get it, but a lot of times I think people aren't overt about what they want because they're scared they won't get it. You know, uh, which going and if you want to if you want to sell a billion copies, great. But then you're going to have to do certain things because, you know, if you look at books that sell a million copies, they, they have a certain style, they have a certain audience. So you might have to compromise, you know, or recognize, no, I want to be a little art house kind of poet. And that's OK, too. You know, but you've got to be honest about that, I think. Your, your, your book got good reviews, by the way. I was having a little dig about. It did well. It did. It's a good book. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from one guy, he said he's he's. He, he digged it. He accused you that you were being funded by Google. No, I wish I had been. I really do. I'm like, you know, I, I was like, taking the money. Knowing I how I know you, I was like, oh, all right, interesting. But it was amazing how people take it. But I've got a couple of questions here. Um, these are actual questions that came in, like when we did some stuff on Instagram the other day. Um, and this is a question from Jenny. How would I go about finding funding for a smaller publication, like for a smaller book, if I'm trying to get it published? Yeah, well, you won't probably. That's the answer, you know. And uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate. It's it's probably always been like this. But um, we live in a there's there's an upside and downside to where what's happened over the last twenty years. The upside is that the means of production have been lowered. So, like everyone, you know, once upon a time, way back in the sort of seventies or eighties or something like that, if you wanted to make a you know record. You had to use a massive recording studio. You had mixing desks. You then had to get a record printed that cost lots of money. You had to be distributed. You know, so very few people could do that. And then over the last, you know, sort of decade, suddenly you can get your Mac out and you can do it and you can put it onto iTunes yourself. You know, so that's great news. And it's the same with books, right? So there's a lot of self-publishing going on. You can create an ebook. You can sell it on on Amazon. The downside of that means the world is flooded with content. So, um, so you're going to a publisher and saying, "Hey, I've got an idea." They'll be like, "Great, write a book." <laughs> you know? So, unfortunately, that's the starting point. So, uh, you know, this is where I need to take my own advice. A lot of um, really good writers now are actually starting with a blog, or uh, or, a, or or Twitter or Instagram. Uh, there's some really interesting examples of people who are building. So they're writing, but they're writing obviously small little things. Um, I can't remember. I think she's Mary Drew. I have to find her phone or Instagram, but she's got a million followers you know, on uh, Instagram by writing little bits of poetry that every so often she drops a book. So she doesn't even need a publisher. But having said that, I'm sure if she went to a publisher and said, look, I've got a million followers, <laughs> they go, sure, here's some money, right? This is happening, for, for, I swear it's happening with every kind of creative industry now where you're, you've got the means to get the, get the kind of attention, but 
to get any kind of funding now you need to get the attention so you've got to do a lot of the hard work yourself at the beginning of the process to kind of build up a certain hello my name is bernard 2001 you might recognize me from my collaborations with radiohead and stephen hawking I actually did a lot of his heavy lifting for him. Anyway, I'm here to tell you about Best Days Vintage. If you like sustainable vintage fashion, feel-good prints, and positive well-being, then they're the guys for you. Visit them at 40 Elf Lane, Colchester, or online at bestdaysvintage.co.uk. Peace out, mother crushers. Build up an audience before people are kind of in, looking to invest in you. One of the... Uh, we've bands now one of the questions that people are asking is how many followers do you have right before you and i assume that maybe that's happened with, with first time publishers and authors like to get any funding for publishing it's like how many followers do you have what's your audience yeah the model is definitely flipping uh you know having said that especially considering someone's asked that question and i don't want to just be discouraging uh yeah the, i think um something that i didn't think about well you know i'm thinking about it now afterwards so thinking about the next thing i do i think there's a lot to be said for finding a niche so you know, a lot of our mentality still comes from the old era. So we think about broadcast. We think about how do we get as many as possible, um, which before the Internet was a good idea because you're like, how do I get as many fans in the United Kingdom? And you wouldn't want to have a niche. But having a niche globally can actually be huge. And some of the most successful writers I've come across now actually find a little niche and then you'll find, you know, they might still, I know someone who's got 150,000 followers who's got this really interesting niche around, you know, Asian vegetarian food, right? Because globally, there's a lot of people interested in that, you know. Um, and quite often, if you go into certain niches, there is funding available, um, you know, particularly if you're going into areas where about diversity, about inclusion, um, about mental health, you know, if you're where you might find arts council funding or funding from different places, you know. So I think looking for that kind of funding rather than commercial funding might be a better idea. You're not going to get a lot of money, but you might get, you know, a grant of some thousands of pounds. To give you a bit of breathing room. Uh, Ricky Gervais says something really massive megastar, Ricky Gervais. But he he was talking about niches as well, saying that with comedy that he said there's 8 billion people in this planet. So what, however niche you think your niche is, there's still going to be an audience for you. You just got to find yeah. them, um, and I think it's kind of maybe it's true that it's like it sounds sad, but it's almost like Google rankings, right? As well, in regards to you have to sometimes with your SEO stuff, you have to make it really as niche as possible, so that those certain people that are looking for that particular thing are able to find it. And maybe with book writing, as well, and, and then the other thing, which I believe the politically correct term is uh, is intersectionality, but in other words, you know, you know, where two or three things coincide. So yeah. you might be from a certain country, you might be into a certain kind of music, and you might be into yoga. I don't know, and it's a combination of three things. And unbelievably, there'll be other people in the world like you who go, "Wow, yeah. that's someone like me." And did you have? A, did you even think about that when you were writing your writing this book, or did you just or did you just have this idea and you thought, "I see something here, and I can see a, I can see a problem that needs solving." 
yeah, well, I did come from that problem that he's solving, and uh, and I had you know, and I you know, I certainly well, I wasn't even preaching it. You know, just just that's another thing. I've learned by doing. That's perhaps one thing I would say to everybody is you've got to give things a go. And then recognize that once you give them a go, you'll learn something. And you both go, oh, I wish I'd done that. But you could have only, only learned it by doing. Um, so I had this idea that there was a lot of people interested in the way the world was changing. There seemed to be a lot of different people who were wanted the world to be different. I was seeing, uh, you know, I was kind of seeing Me Too. As, you know, I wrote it before Black Lives Matter, but there was an awful lot going on along about race, about climate change. Um, and, and, and those are the people that I, and then in business, people who wanted work to be different and were trying to start up things. So those people seem to have something in common. I think in that respect, I was a bit too vague. You know, I should perhaps, have, if I wanted to be more commercially successful, I should have gone, okay, I'm going after the Extinction Rebellion people or I'm going after this, you know. Uh, and that's where I'm thinking from now. I've got one here. Some of these I feel we've touched on a little bit, but I, I want to ask them anyway. So um, this is um, Scott. Scott Pickles, the pickle oh, meister. Scott. The pickle meister. You listening? I'm sure you will be. Um, I've got a great idea, but I don't really know how to get started in writing. How how do I start the process? I mean, I think I don't know how it means, but I imagine like is he creating like a storyline first, or how do you start a process? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point actually, and uh, you know it is a bit sort of flipped to say the way you start is to start, but to some extent you do. Uh, because I think what happens is um, there's a fear uh, and often the possibility and the idea of something is a lot better than the reality. And, you know, sometimes it's better to jump out into an analogy. And it's like it's like running. You know, you watch the Olympics and watch the 1500 meters and say, oh, I'm going to go running every morning. Then you wake up, it's raining. And it's like, oh, maybe not today. You know, so there's a lot to be said for starting to do something. Um, but, you know, uh, and you talked about storylines. I mean, um, I've... Um, I found um, if you watch crime dramas, they'll quite often create a wall of, you know, where they stick all the suspects and newspaper articles. I found that can be quite useful, you know, to start to stick character names on post-its and things like that and draw out little maps. And even though they may end up being thrown away, um, they're good starting points, you know. And then the other thing is just, just to try writing a little bit, just to kind of give it a go. Because um, if you try and think, I've got to write a novel – then you're just going to be overwhelmed. But if you think I'm going to write a page, I'm going to write a couple of paragraphs, you know, and it's a cliche, but the way that you write a novel is one sentence at a time. So, you know, just keep doing sentences. And do you recommend regular times, i.e., like, did, would you say I need to be getting up at six and writing for two hours, six till eight, and then going to do my day, like, kind of like being really strict with it, or is it just as it when it comes, when you feel like it? Yeah, well, again, this is how my brain works. Um, and I, 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 I got myself into a lot of trouble by listening to people who said that. So the answer is yes and no. And uh, the no is, you know, I heard people saying, what you need to do is get up at 6 o'clock and start writing. So I get up at 6 o'clock and look at the screen and be like, and there was nothing there, you know. Uh, now, what I found, actually, is I need to get my brain in gear. So, you know, getting at 6 o'clock and going, okay, uh, you know, I'll kind of get my social media out of the way, not get distracted by it, but just get out of the way, go, okay, now I'm going to go for a walk and have a think, you know, and contemplate or maybe whatever it is that gets you in, starts getting in the zone. You know, I'm going to draw a little bit. I'm going to read my notes from yesterday. Um, and then slowly but surely bring yourself to the, the screen and go, you know what, I'll give myself an hour. Maybe I shouldn't said the thing about social media. Actually. Don't get distracted. But the point is at least have a cup of coffee and get going. And that's all part of the process. And then at some point, say, okay, I'm now going to sit down and try and 
create something. I think that's kind of important. Would you put your day up for review? Like at the end of it, would you look back at it and go, I've done well today and like celebrate that? Or would you be like, Meh, or would you just accept how would you like review each day as it came and went through and say what you've written and how it's come about? Or I, w- I wish, I think that would be the right thing to do. Um, there's, a, there's another book actually talking about books that people can read called um, The War of Art. And it's not the art of war. There is a book called The Art of War, but there's, I can't remember the right. If you look at the War of Art, the War of Art is about the process, right? And uh, and a lot of the creative process, as far as I can see, is about being stuck. <laughs> and when people say writer's block, I don't think I mean you can get blocked, but I think feeling blocked is actually just part of the process. And what you need to do is just show up, and, and it doesn't matter if you write anything, but you don't write much down. Keep going, and then one day you wake up and go, oh, "Holy shit!" And then off you go. And then, unfortunately, at some point, you'll get stuck again. You know, and that's part of the process. And I think on those hard days, I found it, I find it very difficult to go. That was a good day. Yeah, that was a good, good day, not doing anything. Uh, but it is a good day because it is part of the process. You know, that's, yeah, I think I'd find that really hard, feeling like I've just wasted my time. But yeah, having to, as an, I suppose, as an author or an artist or a musician, whatever it is, that you have those days sometimes. They're just a part of that situation. Would you? How long did it take you to write that? Like, how long did it take you? Well, I should say, it obviously, depends on your writing, you know. Because yeah. I mean, uh, there are some very research. I, I'm, I'm talking about. And I did do a lot of research actually, but mine was quite a creative process. Uh, I mean, every process is creative, but some people are a lot more analytical and a lot more research-based. So if you're being research-based, you might spend a lot more time doing research. And there there might be some ways of formulating that, particularly writing academic books and things like that. If you're a poet and you're writing little bits of poetry, then that's a different process as well. So I'm talking about writing this book here, which is about, how many pages is it? About 300 pages long. There's about 100,000 words in there. Um, So... um, yeah, so I'm talking about that. And uh, how long does it take? There's a good there's a there's a, there's um there's a good TV program from way back when uh, called The Singing Detective, and uh, the the lead character is uh, in hospital and he's a writer. He's got like a I can't remember what he is, but he's got very bad skin disease and he can hardly hardly um, move. And at one point he's just sitting there, and uh, the nurse says, "What are you doing?" He goes, "I'm writing." <laughs> and uh, and so I think right there's the process of thinking. And then there's the process of producing. Now, you've got to be careful with that because, you know, we're always thinking. But uh, and I th- I'd say that initial process of thinking, sketching, taking notes can be twice as long as the actual process of production, you know. And I spent a number of years on that first stage, like five probably. Oh, wow. and, then I, and then I wrote the book over about a four-year period. But the point was I had a job. Yeah. So I did a first draft and I kind of lost interest and I gave a second draft and then I got publisher involved and then he got back to me and another seven so if you actually look at how long it took we'd be talking you know in hours i don't know but it would be an awful lot less than what i've talked about so there's the elapsed time and the time actually working on it very different do you think professional authors then will set themselves time limits to write books or do they just let the process go and just as long as it takes well, again, it depends what kind of writer you are, because, I mean, there's people like, you know, the, the, the writer Donna Tartt, who's been very successful, and she turns out a book every 10 years, you know. Uh, but, the, you know, I know some commercial writers who write, um, you know, like uh, tech books, and they they knock out, you know, many a year. <laughs> you know? And uh, so, you know, they're both equally valid. Uh, they probably sell different amounts in different audiences. But um, So you've got to find out where you are on that continuum, you know. 
I I felt that I needed to have a job because I I just didn't want to have to have, have to sit down and think oh my god my because you know, I, I have no independent income or a rich background so so I didn't want to sit around thinking oh shit my life depends on this because um, I think I'd just be so terrified. The downside of that is a job takes a lot of time and energy up so it means that things take a lot longer to do. I've got one here. This is quite a good one, actually. Tanya Dalton. How how do you promote your book? Like after it's come yeah. out, like what pro- did you go for a process of, of promoting, or how did you even did you strategize that, or did you just kind of get on get involved? Or well, well, I think I'm very much on the cusp here in that what I tried to do uh, and then what I learned was was good. Now mine is a uh, what you could call a it's like a pop business or a pop sociology book. Um, so uh, in, in Waterstones now they call it smart thinking. It's a it's, it's a genre. So obviously that's the world I'm in. So it did, very much depends on what you're obviously what area and who you're trying to attract. I found the worst place to sell a book is in a bookshop. That really surprised me. You know, uh, so I initially did a bookshop tour, and um, you know a few people would turn up and a few people would find a book, um, and then I began to realise the place to sell the book if you like was to turn up into places where the people were so i did a couple of ted events uh, i uh, started to connect up with people who were doing um there's this kind of interesting mash now between almost like a, a musical festival and a business conference emerging you know and uh i got myself into some of those in you know, brighton i went to one in new york and it was literally just case of bringing people up and listening and being known um i used social media uh and i found i was um it's easy to get demoralized with social media and, and, and chase followers, uh, and I haven't got many. Uh, but having said that, there was a real quality, not quantity. So I didn't find many people, but the people I did find were actually very useful. And uh, I you know, published something on LinkedIn, and someone said, hey, do you want to do that? That sounds really interesting. We got read a Zoom call and said, hey, paid for me to come over to New York, and I presented at a conference. So I didn't get paid much money to do it, but they paid me to go to New York and stay in a hotel. And, uh, and people heard about my book and bought my book. So, you know, that's, that's kind of, uh, how I did it. It's almost like, especially a book like yours. And I think when you said it was like social economics, right. Yeah. I think that really, that really seems to sum it up. I think in like my, in my opinion about the book itself. Um, but it feels like they're quite symbiotic in regards to like the book is a lead generator for other work. And the other work is almost a lead generator for the book, and the two together kind of work well together. Like you, you have a you have a product, and from that product you go to you can get paid to go and do talks, or whatever, as part of like a way of like earning money. And then when you're doing your talks, you're also able to kind of like talk about the book. So the two that they, that relationship is quite strong, I think. I got a gardener yeah. a friend who does the same I, thing. Well, I think so, and you, you know, and and, and I, I think there's. One of the things that when I wrote two crime novels back in the you know, turn of the century, and one of the things I didn't like about the process was it was quite lonely. I wrote this book, you put it out, it got reviewed in the newspapers, people bought it, you never met them. Occasionally you go somewhere and meet some people and then they went away again, you know. And uh, I think it's now, uh, it's not just about selling a book, it's about creating a community of people who are interested in what you're interested in, they're interested, very much like what you're doing, right? Um, and they... They want to buy your book because they think it's great and you're great, you know, and uh, and then you you like them, so you want to meet them, you know. So I think that kind of world um, is a lot more healthy because um, you're not on your own, you know, you're actually – and then you get a lot more feedback as well. So you put the stuff out there and people have ideas. That then moves into this interesting world of fan fiction where people are now creating ecosystems where it's not just about me 
and my book, but it actually spawns a whole load of other people who then sort of riff off the idea. And I think that's where the world is going uh, in terms of creativity. That's where, like, um, you know, like even with podcasters, right? When podcasters do live events and invite an audience, they invite the audience of the podcast come down to the event. They're all involved within the live, the podcast itself, the recording. The audience are kind of participating within that kind of experience. And you see that as now with podcasts as well. I think that's kind of quite a cool idea. Well, I think so. And I think, you know, again, it's very difficult to talk to people when I don't know what they want to want to write about. But if you really can, you know, if you can, if you're writing about mental health, if you can make your world not about writing about mental health, but about mental health and about how you can help and how you can contribute and where you can turn up. And then you start to write about it. You know, I think that's a far better way of looking. If you're a poet, if you can go, okay. Uh, I'll go and perform poetry <laughs> and, and, and and start to share about that and build a bit of a following. And then I'll take my books with me and sell them at the back of the room. I think that's a, that's a better way of thinking about it. So the book almost becomes like the merch at a, at a, at a, at a rock concert now. Yeah. And then the book also gives you opportunities to perform at the rock concerts, as it were, where you know, yeah. the two come together. And I think, yeah, I think as anyone looking for inspiration in how to kind of like, uh, like maybe earn money out of like writing as well as just selling books but other ways of kind of like generating an income is quite is quite a good way of looking at it i think um well i think i, th- I think um, i was trying to come up with a term the other day my my partner is a, an, ed- a, an editor of um she's not a book well she's a book editor but she doesn't do my work and uh, i was trying to come up with a word of, of content of content and entrepreneur entrepreneur was the best I came up with but I think these days you do have to be like that you know you have to really think about how do I make an interesting product so like for instance this book is the it's not the one that's available on Amazon it's an initial one I did and this cover's done by an artist friend of mine called Heath Kane and you know we produced a short run of this and we had fun doing it and then we got that out into the world and we sold it in little bits and places so so we got people interested you know a little bit like bringing out a limited edition of a vinyl uh, before you bring out an album so to sort of start that that is part of the process these days i think rather than just the thing you're creating do you think also then as a writer you need to be like a little micro business so for example like you could have your own youtube channel where you discuss topics of the day like for example your book right like current affairs which linking with the book and how it's relevant and the book itself and then like creating like mailing lists about kind of like certain situations and podcasts and all these things that kind of like stem out of like writing from a book and it sounds like to kind of promote your book sometimes you have to kind of especially when you're an independent author maybe you have to be a bit more kind of cute with how you do it it's no it's not the same anymore it's just put it out and hope for the best oh absolutely yeah someone like mark manson who wrote that book um uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, you know, which has sold 17 million copies, you know, and uh, he beforehand was a sort of social media coach, you know, and he he was very active on Twitter. He was very active on uh, on Instagram. He's got a, a mailing list, which I'm part of, and he's very, very prolific, you know, and the book is just the tip of a mm. iceberg, if you yeah. like. Uh, but you have to kind of do something that's authentic for yourself, you know, because it's not creating the work that you don't want to do. Um, another example, which is something... Um, that came out of writing the book, which is I met these this couple who were soap makers. They made um, organic soap, and they had a social enterprise, which was um, training people, particularly in developing countries, how to make soap out of whatever was available. Uh, it was a way of bootstrapping people into generating some kind of um, wealth. Uh, the problem was they were having problems making money. So they talked to me, because I had my book, and I talked about participation and community, and uh, off they went. And then 
you know, uh, I spoke to the guy a couple of years later and saying, how, how, well, how are you doing? He goes, oh, we're doing, we're doing really well. I'm like, really? How did that happen? And uh, they created a Facebook page for people that made soap. And um, they have 30,000 people on that Facebook page. They're very active on it. They share a lot. They do these little videos. And then every so often they create a book and lob it into it. Now, if you lobbed a book into the world generally with very little marketing, you'd be lucky to sell 1%. In a group like that, where it's very niche, they sell 30% of that of that community by the book, which is 10,000 copies, mm. you know, uh, which is a lot, you know, particularly when it's self-published, you know, so to think like that, you know, yeah. whatever your niche is. It's almost like to give away content and to give away advice and to give away good value so that when eventually you are asking people to buy something, you're kind of like, the people are already kind of like primed to say, oh, wow, it's really great. Yeah, I support him. I want to support them. So I'm going to buy that book. So yeah. I think, at the end of the day, people buy things if they think it's valuable. Yeah. So it's that simple. It's almost like you're giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, and then you're asking. Yeah. Um, I'm going to um, move on, Neil, because uh, I want to talk a little bit about music. Um, yes. So I want to start by playing our regular, or just calls it our regular feature. I call it a game. Um, it's called Band for Life. So, for anyone listening for the first time, Band for Life, we ask you, Neil, to give us two bands. One band you can listen to for eternity, and one band that you would like to erase from existence. You're not killing the people, you're just, you're just, they never started making, making music. Um, so, you just give up, or give me the two names, and I'll have a guess, and then you can talk about why. So, what are your two bands, or artists? Well, I've got bad news in that I'm going to have to slightly subvert the process, but I was thinking, how can I be of the maximum service to the people here? Okay. Right? And I thought about it and I thought, if I had to have one band, I wouldn't have one band because I, I think, I think the problem with music is it's about a time and a place. Okay. And I hate nostalgia okay. and I'm a creative. So I always need new stimulation. So, you know, I don't want to take my favorite record and listen to it over and over again. Cause I get sad and suicidal, you know? So, so then I thought about if I could only have one kind of music, what would it be? Okay. It would probably be something like Brian Eno, okay. um, because Brian Eno create. You know, look, it's not like he'd be top of my hit parade, but he creates ambient music. You know, so if I could only have one kind of music, it would be music that was just in the background that would make me feel okay, but I wouldn't be sitting there thinking, "Oh, I remember the Pixies," or mm. "I remember Oasis," you know, because that would just take me out of the present moment. And do you think then that Brian Eno? Do you like his stuff then? I, well, it, it, what I mean is, it's a different thing. So oh, I don't sit down and put oh, okay. on a Brian Eno yeah. album. But I, you know, when I'm doing, I often play ambient music. I do yoga, okay. uh, and he's certainly on my ambient list. I don't even know, to be honest, when it is Brian Eno. <laughs> you know, but he's certainly on my ambient list. You know, so if I had to have one thing, it would be something like that. You know, that wasn't nostalgic and it wasn't about a band; it was about a feeling. Okay. Would you then? Are you going to put your neck on the line and give me a band that you would raise from existence? 
I wouldn't agree. No, you see, because then I've got to say, I think everything is important because everything leads to something else, right? And, and when someone does something terrible, you go, that's so terrible, I'm going to do better than it. So I think all of it's important. I know there's a lot of bands I wouldn't want to have in my record collection, but that's a different matter. <laughs> when we play this game quite regularly, the first time I ever did it, um, it was my gardening friend, and he gave us two bands, and he said, okay, the bands I want to give you are the Beatles and the Kooks. So Jess and I were like, fucking hell, what that? And he, he put the Beatles, he said he would erase the Beatles from existence. And, well, that's the most mental answer I've ever had, and that was the first time, that's the first time anyone ever answered that question. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, though, I, I, I would say um, what I would erase from existence is auto-tune. Oh, <laughs> okay. So you're talking pop acts, right? I've got no problem with pop music, but I yeah. think the idea is because you, know, you lose personality, auto-tune allows you to create something that's perfect, but everything sounds the same. So if you want to eradicate anything, I'd eradicate anything that had that auto-tune perfection in it, because it all sound the same to me, so you can get rid of that whole genre for me. Okay. So there you go. So I'm going to put that, I'm going to mean then you put auto-tune and ambient music. How about that? Yeah, or Brian Eno. If you or want Brian Eno, Eno. okay. So. Okay, and and before we finish, um, I want to have a just touch quickly. When we were talking on the on um, uh, what's it called WhatsApp, um, you said something which I thought was quite interesting, and maybe this is a bit out of order to ask this near the end. But <laughs> All right. mental health is being able to deal with the hard. What do you yeah. mean by that? Um. Well, I think um, I think life is difficult, you know, and. Um, uh, you know, Buddha said that. You know, it was Buddha's first line. So I'm not going to claim any, uh, you know, any sort of originality of that. But you know, if you look what the Buddhists say, what the Stoics say, what an awful lot of uh, philosophies talk about is that life, you know, is essentially difficult. And I think uh, life is—is is it any more difficult today than other times? I'm not really sure. You know, my grandfather started working in a mine when he was 12. That sounds quite tough to me. But the point is, it's difficult today. So the comparisons don't really matter, right? Uh, there's certainly a lot of complexity and stress and what seem like big world problems going on, and that makes life very difficult, you know. And uh, I think a lot of people there sort of think we should take the difficulty away, where I think the mental health is learning to be with difficulty, learning to be with complexity. A lot of the um, you know, the upset, I think, on social media is people trying to come up with black and white answers. You know, this is right and this is wrong. And dealing with the fact that, you know, there are, most things aren't black and white. You know, there aren't really, I mean, there are some seemingly really good people and some really awful people, but most people are in between, you know. And I think learning to be with that, and I don't have, want to have any disrespect for some things are deeply traumatic and distressing, you know, and that's that, that's different, you know. But uh, not being so offended by everything, because we do seem, as a world, to have just become, we're like, um, we're, we're outraged. In fact, there's a book just come out called Outrage. I wish I'd come up with that one. But, you know, we're, uh, we're outraged waiting to happen, you know. And every time we do that, we stress our bodies, we, we get upset, you know. So learning to be with things, uh, which is a very sort of mindful, mindfulness kind of approach, I think, is what I mean by that, really, without in any way sort of uh, undermining the fact that some things are shit. Do you think that social media, I know it's a cliche, but has a big impact in the outrage stakes? Because obviously there's some people out there that are like out there to offend or out there to raise blood pressure with comments or with like statements. Well, yeah, look, and I think it's very easy. 
There's a career in it, isn't there, now? The trap we fall into, I believe, is to blame everything else, right? And I'm not saying those things, you know, but when you blame something else, you become powerless, right? And when we feel powerless, we feel desperate and feel scared, you know? And it doesn't mean that those things aren't bad and wrong, but I think that's something to move away from. And social media is, is, is about that a lot. And some people are definitely kind of trolling it. The social media algorithms encourage it. But the other thing that people often forget, and I fall for it all the time, is context, you know, is that when someone is over there writing some words, they might be being ironic, they might be being this, they might be being that. You don't know. You don't know their culture, you don't know their background, and they write a sentence. And you take it into mm. your context and get outraged by it, you know. And I think, uh, especially on something like Twitter, where there literally is, you know, kind of a couple of sentences, it's a it's a recipe for disaster, really, you know. So uh, it's that sort of, um, what do I mean? It's like, it's like we need to take things seriously, but on the other hand, uh, it's kind of like don't prod the dog. You know, if you, you like, you prod a dog, it's going to bite you. And a lot of these things, I'm just saying, maybe just don't get involved so much, you know. And that doesn't mean don't care. It's, I read a lot about Stoicism, and one of the kind of key points of Stoicism is you can't control other people. You can't control certain situations. But what you can control is your reaction to those situations. And if yeah. you're being offended, it's because you're choosing to be offended. And you can also, on the other side of the coin, choose not to be offended and choose to look at certain situations in a different way. And, and I think the other side of that is to choose hard. your battles, right? Because yeah. sometimes when actually standing up and saying something is useful, but usually on social media, it isn't. It really mm. doesn't make any difference whatsoever. So it's like, you know, get out of the ring. You know, if you're just being punched in the face kind of thing, get out of the ring and then work out, you know, where can I be useful? Where is my voice actually going to make a difference? It's true, yeah. It's, yeah understanding what your values are as a person and and leaning into them when the going gets tough but i you, you know something I, I talk about in my work which i think you know we, we're, we're probably running out of time but you know is this idea that if you look at teams that work together they work shoulder to shoulder and if you look at where conflict happens it's face to face and when you're on a screen you are literally facing the world you know and that's what's happening you're there battling with the world and i think what we need to do is learn how can we come together in situations where we can work together and that is possible online but i think it's usually only possible when you know the people already or there's some kind of relationship there okay and on that bombshell <laughs> um so thank you so much for giving us giving me your time mate it's been really it's been lovely talking to you it's been a while isn't it since we've seen each other well, it's a pleasure i'm going to be down in uh, essex in a couple of weeks time so i'll drop in and have one of your new coffees and give you some I'll give you honest feedback. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So everyone listening, everyone in Russia um, and everyone all around the world that listens to this podcast, um, this has been the Failed Rockstar Club and Neil Gibb and his book, I know I didn't want to talk about it too much, but it's called The Participation Revolution. And I'll, um, on Instagram, I will share it, um, um, the image of it as well because um, I think it's important because I've read it and I've given it away to my friend for him to read um, and I think it's a kind of really cool way of doing that like books that you find useful and valuable to give to other people and share the love um, so thank you everyone for listening to the Failed Rotsar Club podcast podcast that talks about music mental health and fashion um, I've been Stephen Robert Hurdle Jess Dixon's probably sitting in the pub having a beer and you've been Neil Gibb I'm pretty certain he's in prison, but anyway, I'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, we could. Maybe we, we definitely haven't fallen out. Um, so thanks everyone for listening, and go and get get check out his book. And also, you can come and check out anything that you, any information on Best Days Vintage, 
www.cloudbank.co.uk. So thank you guys and goodbye.